Let us come now to God's throne of grace. Let us ask Him to instruct our hearts from this precious word. We need change and transformation. Let us ask Him to do that. Would you bow with me briefly, please? Father, you know, you know all of the conditions of all of our hearts. You know exactly what we need. And we ask that you would take this immutable, transcendent, omnipotent word and drive it into our hearts. so that we will find in it what we each individually need this morning. I acknowledge before you, Father, I come to you in weakness this morning. And like every person in this room, I need to hear this word. And would you take this weak vessel... Would you give me strength for this moment? And would you strengthen us? We're anticipating what's coming at the end of this chapter, serving you. We want to serve you well. We want to exalt you. To serve you well, we need your strength. And we need to know our place before you. So will you sharpen us this morning? Would you steal us? And would you equip us to be fit vessels for you? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you know this guy. Keith Palmer might. Where's Keith? There's Keith. Henry Augustus Rowland, a physics professor. Maybe Keith, in his physics background, came across him. A physics professor at Johns Hopkins University in the second half of the 19th century. On one occasion, he was called to be a witness in a court case, and his qualifications were given thusly. He is the highest known authority in this country upon the subject of the laws and principles of electricity. Pretty high praise. A friend of him supposedly asked him after the trial was over about that commendation and why he didn't diminish it in some way and maybe express just a tad bit of humility in relation to that claim. And he allegedly responded to his friend, Well, what did you expect me to say? I was under oath. (laughs) If I asked you, what is your greatest sin? What is the thing you struggle with the most? Wouldn't many of us say, it is my pride? Yep. Historically, pride has always been exalted and humility has been shunned.
And, and even in our Christian circles, we, we have a way of seeming to be humble and yet be proud, proud and prideful at the same time. Oh, oh, it was nothing really. It was, it was not that big of a deal. And, and we all know that that very often is just an elicitation of more praise and more accolation, right? Adulation, right? I know Keith knows this guy. And maybe some of you do as well. He's smiling. That's Richard Baxter. Listen to what Baxter said. Humility is not a mere outward ornament of the Christian, but it is an essential part of the new creature united to Christ by faith. It is a contradiction in terms to be a Christian and not be humble. We we are humble, brothers and sisters, and we must act what we are and be humble. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the apostle has stressed that spiritual transformation will begin in the mind, and as our minds are being renewed, we will know what the will of God is. We will, we will understand what He morally calls us to do. And in this verse, he continues to emphasize that by particularly drawing attention to humility. If we, need, if we are going to be humble, friends, we need to think rightly. We need to put off all prideful stinking thinking, to say it most simply. Paul's point in this passage is that humility, as he thinks about how we're going to serve one another, and as he is about to embark on an explanation of spiritual gifts, and then explain how we relate to one another in the body and how we handle difficult and broken relationships. He says what undergirds all of that is humility. Humility is essential for ministry. Effective ministry is dependent on true humility. And the way we will cultivate humility is through a renewal of our minds. And so we're going to say this about these verses. Verses 3 to 5. Cultivate humility by thinking rightly about yourself, your ministry, and God. Cultivate humility by changing the way you think, by changing the way you think about yourself, your ministry, and God. And in these three verses, the Apostle will give us three mind-renewing thoughts so that we can cultivate humility. Again, I've already noted that chapter 12, verse 3 Paul begins applying the truths about spiritual transformation. So he's called us in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, because of everything that he said about theology, because of everything he said about who we are in Christ and what God has done for us in our salvation, that we need to be transformed. We need to be renewed. We we would use the word sanctification, right? We need to be sanctified. We need to be changed. We can't keep going the same trajectory that we were going when we were, were in the world. That needs to be changed and transformed. And the very very first place he goes as he thinks specifically about what transformation needs to look like is to humility. He's giving us an example, a specific example. Verse 12, he says, as you're being changed, you will know what the will of God is. And he is pointing us to one specific aspect of the will of God. And the will of God is that we be and live humbly. Isn't it interesting that the very first thing he says as he thinks about applying sanctification is humility. 
And that's significant. Notice also that the Apostle brings us up in the context of the church body. He talks about gifts in the church body in verses 6 through 8. He talks about relationships in the church body, really from verses 9 to the end of the chapter, but particularly in verses 9 to 13. And he's focusing on the relationships within the church. And isn't it interesting that as he launches into this explanation of the church, he is... He is making a bridge between sanctification and church ministry, and the bridge is humility. It is as if he is saying in part, friends, if you want to be transformed, you need the church to help you. You're not going to be changed in isolation. You need all of the brothers and sisters to come come alongside you and around you to surround you and sanctify you and help you be sanctified. What I also want you to notice in this verse, or these verses, and we're going to play this out a little bit, extend this out, but just to summarize as we head in, humility is not something that we do. Humility is something that we are, and it is the overflow of what we think. Four times... In verse 3, the apostle says, watch what you think. Think carefully, think carefully, think soundly. If we're going to be humble, it is because we have guarded our thinking and guarded our hearts and guarded the things that we meditate on. If we have any hope of overcoming pride in our lives, it will begin with sound thinking. Our minds are crucial to living righteously. We've already seen that in verse 2. And it is crucial, particularly here, to the aspect of humility and fighting against pride. As we think about ourselves, as we think about ministry, as we think about church, as we think about the outgrowth of sanctification in our lives, this is how we should think. Three Mind-renewing thoughts to cultivate our humility. First of all, verse 3, don't think too much of yourself and your gifts. Don't think too much of yourself and your gifts. Notice how he starts verse 3, for, the, for through the grace given to me, I say to a couple people among you, particularly Terry, he needs this. What does he say? To everyone. Brothers and sisters, I hate to state the obvious, but this is for all of us. Because this is part of the struggle of all of us. This isn't just for Awana leaders. This isn't just for for pastors. This isn't just for elders. This isn't just for deacons. This isn't just for Sunday school teachers. This, This isn't just for counselors. This isn't just for disciples. Brothers and sisters, this is for all of us. It's for me. It's for you. All of us struggle with pride, at least if we're, as long as we're not, as, at least as long as we're not being pridefully dishonest, we will acknowledge we struggle with pride. We want to be exalted. We want self-exaltation, and we want others to exalt us as well. I, I love this. I came across this a number of years ago, and I saw it again this week. John Piper was asked the question: How do you remain humble? I love this answer. Answer, I don't. What makes you think I'm humble? 
A lot of people don't think I'm humble. End quote. Oh, isn't that where you live? That's where I live? That's my struggle? So what's the apostle going to say? Let me just summarize this verse for you. If you want to serve God in a God-glorifying way, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't exalt yourself in your own view and don't attempt to magnify your importance to others. And Paul's going to get at that in a couple different ways in this verse. Notice the first thing he says, for, and, and by the word for, he is connecting what he's about to say to what he has just said about sanctification, right? So he's going to amplify the idea of sanctification for through the grace given to me. Paul was the recipient of grace because he was saved, right? But the apostle was also a recipient of grace in a really remarkable way. At the beginning of this letter, he reminds us that he is a slave of God, but even while he is a slave of God, he's also an apostle. Remember what he says in 1 Corinthians 15? Speaking about apostleship and the disciples, he says, And last of all, as to one untimely born, he, Christ, appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. Paul was an apostle by God's grace, by God's kindness, by God's overflowing mercy to him. If you you go, and we won't take the time this morning, but if you go to Philippians chapter 3, you will see that Paul had all kinds of reasons superficially to be proud and to lean on himself for his own righteousness. And he says, that's all rubbish. It's all of no account. It's of no value. I don't cling to those things because none of those things can make me righteous and none of those things can keep me righteous. The only reason I am righteous in my standing before God or in the outworking of my faith is only because of Jesus Christ and His grace. So Paul reminds us in this verse, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say something to you, but what I am saying to you is only because of the overflow of God's grace in my life. I can urge you to do something particular as an apostle speaking with the authority of God, not because I am anything, but only because I have received from the overflow of God's incredible great grace. This is, this is a reminder that he is not giving his own opinion. This is God's speaking through him. But again, even while he is speaking, it's only, it's only because of God's grace. Notice also the connection between this verse and what he's already said in verse 1. Here, for the grace given to me, I say, remember verse 1, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God. And he flips the order of those phrases, but he essentially says the same thing, doesn't it? Doesn't he? I'm telling you, and this comes from God's mercy. This comes from God's kindness. Oh, friends, 
We are humble before God because everything we have is by His grace. Nothing that we have is ever because of anything that we have done. It's only because of everything He has done. And while it is difficult to deal with a sin like pride, an accurate evaluation of who we are is an expression of God's grace and kindness to us. When we evaluate our lives and when we see what we are and when we see what, we, what He has done for us, we are exalting His grace. And notice also that what the Apostle says here relates to what he's going to say about spiritual gifts. Notice he says here, Through the grace given to me, I say, notice verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In other words, you have a gift that has been given to you if you're in Christ that has equipped you to serve in the body of Christ. And that comes... Not because of value in you, not because of inherent worth in you, but because of God's grace to you. And what I'm going to say to you, Paul says, about humility, that also is an expression of God's grace to you. God's grace will lead you to service and God's grace will lead you to humility. It's God's grace that leads us to mortify our pride. Everything Everything that we will do in fighting against pride and embracing humility is an expression of God's grace. And then notice what Paul will also say here in this verse. I say to you, you, I say to everyone, not to think more highly of himself. That, That verb, think highly, has the idea of haughtiness. It it has the idea that someone has thought beyond the reality of what he is. He has a disproportionate estimation of himself. He He has overthought his position. He has looked at what he has done and he has, he has magnified his influence and his position and who he is way beyond the reality of what he is. A mentor of mine 40 years ago, as I observed his life and ministry, taught me a phrase that has stuck with me and um, has helped me think rightly about this. He was a man of some prominence, had written dozens of books, and, and had great credibility in the church and in the theological world. And I heard him preach probably hundreds of times. And when people would introduce him, they would introduce him and point to all of his attributes and all of his accolades and all the places that he had traveled and all of the things he had done to influence people. And inevitably, he would get up in the middle of the introduction and he would push the introducer off the stage, literally. And then he would mumble something like, stop glorifying the worm. That's helpful. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't think about yourself in a haughty way. We're just worms that God has graced to use to accomplish His purposes. In fact, Paul could hardly be more emphatic about controlling the way we think about ourselves than he is in this verse. Four times he uses some form of the verb to think. Notice what he says. You are not to think more highly than you ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment or sound thinking. Four times, 
Watch what you think. Watch you, what you meditate on. Watch what controls your mind. And when he's, when he's talking about thinking, he's not just talking about this, right? He's talking about the inner man. He's talking about, about what our longings are. He's talking about our desires. He's talking about our hearts. He's talking about our loves. And so we might, we might give the sense of it this way. Do not love yourself in an exalted way. Don't yearn for and love for accolades. Don't love the idea of being exalted and preeminent. Don't love the exalted places. Why is it important that the Apostle Paul says that? Because in just a moment, and we'll see this next week, he's going to talk about spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are given so that we serve others. My spiritual gift is not for me. Now, if I use it rightly, does it change me and help me? Yes, but it's not primarily for me. It's for everybody else around me. And your spiritual gift is not for you. It's, it's for you to, to pour yourself out into the lives of others so they are helped. And friends, if we think about our spiritual gifts and say, it's all about me, we're undercutting the very reason they are, gi- they are given to us. If we, if we are going to use spiritual gifts well, they have to be used with humility. The church won't be helped and the church won't, won't grow unless we serve with humility. Pride will destroy the use of our spiritual gifts. I was thinking a lot this week about John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? And his ministry, is, his ministry took off. Um, other than with the Pharisees. I mean, they didn't have much use for his ministry. But beyond that, people are flocking to him. And then, here comes this upstart. And he starts drawing crowds away from John. And while people still like John, there's this new guy that is particularly compelling. And he's doing stuff that John never even thought about doing. He's healing people and he's casting out demons. And John's disciples come to him and say, Rabbi... John 3.26, He who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John, what are we going to do? How are we going to invigorate our ministry so that people will come back to us? What does John say? You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ. I've been merely sent ahead of him. He must increase. I must decrease. That ought to be our motto. Always Him, never me. Increase Him, decrease me. Exalt Him, forget me. It's not about me. It's about Him. How does this relate to us? Oh, brothers and sisters, don't inflate your value to others as if you are above service. 
God's given you a gift. Use it to humbly serve others. I love what one commentator said. It's a, it's a somewhat technical commentary, but I love the way he says this. Don't fancy yourself to be Mr. Big. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Isn't that helpful? In the Revolutionary War, there was a man one day who was in civilian clothes who was riding his horse along the top of a ridge. And as he looked down from the top of the ridge, he could see a group of soldiers below him. And they were struggling with a cannon to get it into place so that it could fight against the British and and be a defense against the British. And there were three men that were laboring hard. And and as he looked down, there was a fourth man that was giving orders and yelling. And the the more they, they vainly attempted to get the cannon into position, the more he yelled at them and berated them and accused them. And so the man on the horse made his way down there and said, um, why, why, don't you, um, why don't you just give them a hand and help them get the cannon into position? Sir, I'm a corporal. Oh, excuse me. Let me give them a hand. And so the man got off his horse and helped the other three soldiers. They got the cannon into position. And as he was about to get back on his horse, the man turned to the corporal and said, "Um, Listen, if you ever have another situation like this again, where you need additional men to help you, just send word to my tent and my headquarters and ask for your commander-in-chief, George Washington, to come help you. And I will come. Don't you know that that corporal learned a lesson that day? Oh, brothers and sisters, whatever we are and whatever we accomplish, it's just God's grace. It's not us. We're weak. We're frail. It's His ministry. It's His accomplishment. Our accomplishments in ministry are never about us. They're always about God's grace. And they're always an expression of the love that the Savior has for us and the love that we have for Him in following His example. And remember His example? He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Listen to what J. Oswald Sanders said. The fundamental lesson... The greatness comes only by way of servanthood and that first place in leadership is gained only by becoming everybody's slave must have come as a great and unwelcome shock to Jesus' disciples. Listen to what he says. It is noteworthy that only once did Jesus say that he was leaving his disciples an example to follow And that was when he washed their feet. We learned something from that. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't think too much of yourself. Don, I'm going to play off of what you said in Sunday school this morning. There's a balance to that statement, and it's this. Do think rightly about yourself and your gifts. 
there's a balance to the first point. And it is that we, we don't only think, I am nothing, I am worthless, I am empty, I have no value. In, in one sense, th- those statements are true. It is true. I'm destitute. I am spiritually poverty-stricken. When Jesus, when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 3, that is exactly where he starts. We are, we are spiritually destitute. Not just like we don't have very much. No, like we're destitute. We have nothing. But in Christ, we have been given much and we have been provided much. I don't remember if you remember this message, but I remember just being astounded when we got to Romans chapter 8, verse 4, talking about what the law couldn't do and what Christ did in being an offering for us. And He did it, Romans 8, 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He doesn't mean by that that we fulfill the law and accomplish our own righteousness. But He does mean by that the thing that you could never do before Christ, the law that you could never fulfill, the, 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 the pleasure that you could never bring God now, In some way, you can please God. Now, in part, you can accomplish what He's called you to do. Not so that you merit salvation, but because salvation has been granted to you. Are you nothing? Well, yes, in yourself, yes. But in Christ, no. You're not nothing. And that doesn't work, but you know what I'm saying. So notice what Paul says. Verse 3, but think so as to have sound judgment. That, that word sound judgment means reasonable, sensible. The, the person that thinks this way is in his right mind. In other words, he's rightly evaluated his position in, his, in the church. He's rightly evaluated his spiritual gifts, his spiritual responsibilities. And he's thinking rationally about them. He's thinking rightly about them. He's using them in right ways. He's rightly evaluated his position and God, how God might use him with in the context of the church body. He is, in a word, in his right mind. He thinks things like, the Lord has placed me with my gifts in the context of this church body so that I can help them. And I can, by his grace, help them. I can minister to them. I can be effective. I can accomplish this task. He doesn't have a false humility. He doesn't say, oh, I'm nothing. I can't do that. He has a right evaluation. He says, yes, it's been confirmed to me. I have that spiritual gift and I would love to use it in serving the church body in this way. Listen, brothers and sisters, we're going to see this in coming weeks, but God has saved us. God has freed us. God has redeemed us. God has made us holy. God has secured and empowered and He has gifted Every single believer, so that every single believer can be used in the context of the church body to serve the church body, to build up the church body. You have 
a spiritual gift that God has said, I want to make you and use you in this body to build up this body. You, if you're in Christ, have that gift. And we don't need to hang our heads and say, oh, I can't do anything. No, brother, you've got a gift. And think rightly about how you're going to use it. And don't diminish the work that He would do through you. Here's the key. To be humble is to diminish my own abilities while at the same time exalting the work of God in my life. True humility has an accurate perspective of God's influence in my life and doesn't attempt to hijack God's glory. So we evaluate, yes, I can, but only because it's all of God's grace. Imagine uh, some of you might have kids three or four years old or grandkids. And imagine Saturday morning you say uh, to the family, hey, um, like we did yesterday, Ray Jean did yesterday, um, hey, it's going to rain on Monday. This is our last chance to get the lawn mowed. I'm going to I'm going to head out this morning and mow the lawn and get that done. Notice it was Regine that went to mow and not me, but that's another story for another day. And the kids hear you, and the four year old says, "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy, let me help you." And you're thinking, "Oh, I don't need this kind of help today." Sure, son, let me teach you about mowing the lawn. And so you go out there and you explain, you know, the gas, the oil, everything. You make sure the deck is clean and, you know, you kind of run them through everything related to a lawnmower. And you say, okay, well, thanks for the help. I'm going to go mow. No, daddy, 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 let me help you. Okay. So you take the lawnmower out and you get to the front yard and you pull it and you start it. And the son grabs the bar, right? And you straddle around him, right? So you're pushing, you're like this. And you do the whole yard that way. He's pushing. And you're straddling. And you get done. You clean the deck. You know, you do everything to clean it up. You put it back in the shed. And your son looks at you and says, Dad, I mowed the lawn. (laughs) Right. No, brothers, God's pleased to use us. But it's his work, isn't it? And he gets the glory. Think rightly. You have a place to play. But make sure that he gets the glory. So many places in Scripture that affirm this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. In a large house... There are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. So in the house, all kinds of cups, if you will. Some you drink out of, they're gold cups. You've got the fancy china, right? Your house. And then you've got the cups that the kids use that you don't care if they fall on the floor because they'll just bounce. And then you've got your dog dish. That's another one. Well, in this culture, they not only had but those things, but then they had pots that they took the refuse out. And, I mean, all the refuse. They didn't have indoor plumbing, to catch my drift. Some of them, some of those vessels are used to honor. Some of them dishonor. The 
the refuse ones, those are the less honorable, more dishonorable vessels. Notice what he says in verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, there'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Useful to the master. He's the master. But you're useful. Think rightly about who you are and how God has positioned you in the body. Third truth to think as we think about our humility and our gifting. Do think and work faithfully with your gifts. Do think and do work. Work faithfully with your gifts. He's going to say three things in relation to this at the end of verse 3 through verse 5. And first he's going to say God's gifts. He's going to remind us that God's gifts are for faithfulness in the one church body. When we get to the end of verse 3, he says this, Think as to have sound judgment, as, or in the way, or like, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. That, that is um, a phrase of no small difficulty to try and sort out exactly what's going on. In fact, um, one of my very favorite commentators on the book of Romans estimated that there are 70 different possibilities of what that could mean. So, you got your pencil? Number one. I'm not going to go there. I think there, ultimately there's two main things that it could be. The main, one possibility is that, that he means by this, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And, and, and the real tricky part is, what, what does he mean by the measure of faith? And how, how is our faith connected to what he's saying about humility? It could mean that God has given the same measure of faith to all people and we should evaluate ourselves as to what we are in the faith. So because, Romans 6, I am in Christ, because the Spirit of God has baptized me into Christ, and I have this faith that has been granted to me, I need to think of myself in that way. And, and there's a lot that appeals to me as I think about that, that uh, possibility, that that. That resonates. That makes sense. We, we, we use our gifts and we think about ourselves in the context of the church in proportion to how God has positioned all of us. And we all have the same position in Christ. Or it could be, the second main alternative, is that it could be that God has distributed a variety of gifts in, ver- in various amounts, and that is clear from the rest of the passage that that's what's going on, to all those who are in the faith and that they should use those gifts as an expression of their faith. So I have received something from God that I don't deserve. And as a measure or as an expression of my faith, I use in humble dependence on Him what He has given me to serve the church body. And I think that's probably what the Apostle Paul means here. We might say it this way, do I have faith 
to believe that God will use the gift He's given me when I exercise it trusting Him? Do I have faith to believe that He can use me? Do I have faith to believe that He's given me a gift and that that gift will have effectiveness in the church body? In other words, brothers and sisters, we we just need to be faithful to use the gifts that God has given us, trusting that He will use us. The gifts are for faithfulness. The gifts are not to exalt us. The gifts are to give us an opportunity to exercise regular faithfulness, trustworthiness in serving others and serving Christ. He's going to add another thought to that. God's gifts are various within the one church body. Verse 4. For, and when he uses that word for, he's giving us a reason as to why we should use our gifts in faithfulness. Because, just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function. So he's giving a reason for why we should exercise our gifts faithfully by giving us an analogy. And the analogy is in our bodies, in our physical bodies, we have all kinds of different members. How many bones do we have, Brian? A lot. That's my favorite medical doctor. One of my favorite. I've got a lot of favorites because there are several of you here. I don't know, hundreds of muscles, millions of nerves. And every time I go running, I'm using all of them. I'm especially using the ones that the gasp nerves, <gasps> right? But I use them all in the right place. I don't run on my eyeballs. I don't breathe with my toes. I use my toes to balance. I use my legs to power me. I use my lungs to breathe. I use my brain to say, keep going, you can do it. Right? Every every part of the body, it's all different. But they all have a function. And they all work together for one body. Lots of members, notice verse 4, one body. They function differently. One body body. Doesn't matter what the function is. It's one body. It's to lift up the one body. It's it's so that we live for others. And this is a reminder of our interconnectedness and how dependent we are on one another. And so I've said for years things like, my suffering is not just about me. My suffering isn't just about me. My suffering impacts your life. My sin isn't just about me. My sin impacts your life. My marriage isn't just about me. It impacts many others. My gift isn't just about me. It's about the body. So... Lots of gifts, but it's for the one body. We're various. It's easy to say, I'm just one of many. 
I'm the appendix. What does the appendix do? I don't know. Chuck it out of here. No, we need it. What do tonsils do? I don't know. You need it. You need the eyeballs. You need you need the blood vessels behind the eyeballs. You need all those little neurons in your brain making the right connections. Maybe you're just a neuron, but brother, we need you. Because without you, the, the one body doesn't function rightly. There's one more thing the apostles say, verse 5. God's gifts are for unifying within the one church body. So, now he's bringing his analogy to a conclusion. So we, who are many, are one body and individually members of one another. What was that game a few years ago? I don't remember the name of it. You know, the hip bone connected to the leg bone, the leg bone connected to the knee bone, knee bone connected to the shin bone. What was that? No, that's not. That's a different game. Anyway, you know the thing, right? So we're all interconnected, right? So ultimately, you know, the furthest place on your toe is connected to the hair on the top of your head. We're all connected. Whatever we are, wherever our function is, internal organ, external toe, we're all connected. We're all members of one another. And we're not individual. We have different gifts. But it's not about our individuality. It's about our unity. And isn't this where humility becomes important? Because pride says, it's all about me. It's all about exalting me. It's all about pointing to me. No, no. It's all about building the body. It's all about caring for the corporate unity of what we are. And ultimately, it's not even about the body, is it? It's about Him. It's about Christ. It's about His exaltedness. You want to be humble? Then don't think too much about yourself. But do think rightly about yourself. And then do think and do work with faithfulness in carrying out your ministry. Who's influenced you? Who are the people that have poured into your life to make you who you are? Think about that. Mom, dad, siblings, children. Children shape us, don't they? Friends, a neighbor, co-worker. Some of you have been in the faith a long time. How many sermons have you heard? Thousands. How many Sunday school lessons have you heard? Thousands. How many Awana verses have you been taught? How many times have you been counseled? Maybe in a room? Maybe over a coffee cup at Starbucks? Who's discipled you? Who's poured into you? 
Who's trained you? Brothers and sisters, what we are in Christ is not because of who we are and what we have done. I'm going to break a rule. I'm going to tell you to do something you shouldn't do to be polite. I want you to turn around and look around. No, seriously, look around the room. Those people you're seeing, they're the ones that have shaped you. They're the ones that have and are pouring into you so that you are what you are in Christ. Now, you may not have direct relationship with every person in this room. You probably don't, in all honesty. But it takes all of us to make this body work rightly. And when we approach the ministry that God has given us in humility, it works well to His glory. So be humble and thank God for how He has positioned you to serve Him and then serve Him with faithfulness. Father, thank You for a simple reminder. We know these truths. I I probably haven't said anything this morning that most of us haven't thought about many times. But we need this reminder not to be big, not even to be small, but to think rightly about what you've done in our lives. And even as we prayed earlier, what a magnificent God you are to be our refuge, to be a place of safety, to be a God who does not condemn us, And now we find in this passage a God who even uses us. Wow. We praise you and we thank you. Might you keep us humble and might you make us effective because we are humble. We pray in Christ's name for His honor, for His glory only. Amen.